Richard Curtis isn't the one on trial, so uh, yes, yes, fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't care about four weddings and a funeral. I have yeah. very few opportunities if, to put if, Richard Curtis on trial. If you want to throw the victory and just like <laughs> lay into Richard Curtis for forty-five minutes, then be my guest. Yeah. But I'll, I'm I'm going to lay into him, Dave. I won't. I won't. I'll try not to. Everyone and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Joel. And I'm Dave. And love is all around as we enter our rom-com month. And this week, we're putting the 1994 rom-com Four Weddings and a Funeral on trial. Is it a feeling in your fingers or is it an early warning sign of a heart attack? (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, we're going to find out if it will be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list. Now, before we go on, our last film on trial was Army of the Dead. Dave and I were the only ones who bothered to show up for the trial. (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. And, well, before I say what our judgment was, Alex, you've listened to the first part of the trial and haven't listened to the verdict. And I, I actually did. I listened to the second half on the way back, so I, uh, I, I have listened to the whole thing. Um, and yeah, I thought your points were excellent. The only real surprise was that you put it on the second hit list at the end. It sounded like appalling from everything you said for fifty nine minutes, and in the last minute, you were like, you know what? Though it was, it was quite fun. So, so it should. <laughs> so it should. It sounded, it sounded absolutely terrible. Like two, two and a half hours. Of like, is there a zombie robot? Is there not a zombie robot? Who knows? Zack Schneider possibly doesn't. But uh, yeah, so it sounded terrible. It's like, stop me if I'm wrong, but there was a one point when you were talking about different things that were happening. And I swear, you know, when you like walk, I was walking along to work this morning. I was like, did I hear that? Or am I having some sort of like onset dementia? Like <laughs> the, there's something about the zombies are in the sun and they melt in the rain or something oh, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I was just walking along and I was like, what? And then you never mentioned it again. I said, I said that that was one of the things he lays the number of seeds for potential future films. And he says that there's a load of, well, they, they walk past all these melted corpses and the guide says, Oh, watch out for them. They look dead, but when it rains, they come back to life. It's essentially, they've been burnt out that these withered corpses that have been mel- melted by the sun. Right. A bit of rain rejuvenates them. Right. Okay. (laughs) That makes a bit more sense. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, Alex, unfortunately, (laughs) yeah, we both put it on the hit list. Yeah. We think it was big, dumb fun, to be honest. It was like. What it is about that film is how terrible it is. Some people. I can't make it to the end. You know, some people barely make it past the opening 20 minutes. Well, Joel, doesn't surprise me that left to you two, it went on the hit list. I know, I know. It's, no, it's, it's terrible, but classic fun. in the making. Yeah. Exactly. Terrible, but fun. All I'm going to say is, guys, this is what happens if you're going to be skipping weeks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we only need to be monitored ourselves. 24 hours yeah. a day. <laughs> it's your own fault. It's. I, I think it probably has gone on the wrong list, but what are you going to do? <laughs> 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 right, okay. Now, on to the trial. All of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random, so acting in defense and trying to get this film placed on their hit list will be me and Ozzy when he pitches up. <laughs> I'm a bit like Simon Callow's character Gareth. I'm loud, annoying, I wear colourful clothes, 
I think that everybody likes me, but in reality, they want to see me suffer a horrible accident. <laughs> and people always call me Gareth as well, and it's really annoying. So, yeah. A lot. There's a lot in common with the... yeah, there. Is, there is a lot in common, yeah. Especially people call me Gareth. So if anybody from work is listening and you haven't gotten done yet, it's, it's <laughs> Gavin. <laughs> anyway, Ozzy is just like Hugh Grant's character, Charles. He's always late and he laughs off his dangerous driving. <laughs> And acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list will be Alex and Joel. Alex is also like Simon Callow's character, Gareth. He's not averse to falling over at somebody else's wedding. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) It is fair to say that the night ended for both of you there and then, but at least you were able to recover from yours. (laughs) Uh, Joel is just like James Fleet's character, Tom. We don't know what he does for a living, but we know that he makes a lot of money doing it. (laughs) Now, just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, though, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their genuine thoughts. This week, Dave will be playing the judge, and he has to decide which list this film should be placed on the hit or shit based solely on the arguments put to him and not using his own opinion. And Dave is just like Kristen Scott, Scott Thomas's character, Fiona. He wears a lot of black, and he's often seen with a whiskey in his hand. <laughs> now, before we get started, I think we should probably give the audiences a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is all about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. Does it say? Uh, it was animals you might find on a farm, and obviously that was a coyote. <laughs> <laughs> when it's ransacking the farm of all its livestock. <laughs> anyway, welcome back, Joel. It's landed on yourself. So Joel is going to read out the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters. So how would we like Joel to read this out? Oh, I think it's got to be as a, a, a bumbling Englishman, as we all sound really, you know. Yeah. So to your best, oh, Hugh Grant, affable, bumbling English gent. Uh, over the course of five social occasions, a, a committed bachelor must consider the notion that he may have discovered love. Very nice. Very nice. Very well nice. done, man. Well done. You've charmed me already. <laughs> Oh, yeah, so sorry. <laughs> yeah, that was it, <laughs> uh, Yeah, well done, well done, Joel, sorry. <laughs> and without further hesitation, should we kick things off? Dave, would you like to kick off proceedings? Yeah, by all means. Okay, so Four Weddings and the Funeral, I understand it's a bit of a classic. You know, people regard this film in, in, in pretty high value. Um, I've not seen it. I've never seen Four Weddings and a Funeral. I don't know why, it's just one of those films I've never gotten around to actually watching. So I'm going to leave this film's reputation at the door. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to judge this purely on the arguments put to me. I have nothing of my own opinion to put into this. So spare me no details. Just when you think, you know, you presume I'll know who plays this character. I won't. I haven't got a clue. So give me all the detail. Give me all the facts. This really is. I know it, it seems like a done deal, but it's not. This one really is all to play for. Uh, Gav, I saw your hand raised already. <laughs> I'd like to say, don't leave its reputation at the door. <laughs> Please consider <laughs> can I, its can, reputation. Can we? Okay, can, I, can I just remember before we start? Let's just remember the love actually one, and remember yeah. that we're all friends. Do you know yes. what I mean? Let's, let's <laughs> just we'll all take it down. And I'm talking obviously. I'm talking mainly to myself here. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm going to take lots of got a little oxygen tank here that I'll sort of I'll take little huffs of, and I'll just. We're calm all we're down. all friends here. If this gets too heated, I'm going to start singing wet 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 at you good I might, so, 
so keep Good. it keep it cool if i go keep for a little walk pleasant. that's just that's not you know Funnily enough it isn't isn't love is all around also the soundtrack to love actually it is yeah it is, it is. Like christmas is all so the two, these two films are connected in, yeah, in more ways than one it is well, yeah, and our arguments and hatred will be as well this is the prequel to love actually in many ways the prequel to love actually. let's just say as well, well possibly a, a, a reminder of what dave said before this trial is that richard curtis isn't on trial here it's love actually uh, yeah, so, yes. even if we think that richard curtis should be on trial it's literally on trial, literally on trial like. uh, <laughs> but on which point let's let us commence into the void into the breach Gavin, would you like to go first? You're in defense. Tell me why this film's reputation is worth me considering then. I think this is rightly considered one of the greatest romantic comedies of all time. Not just one of the greatest British romantic comedies of all time, but one of the best international romantic comedies of all time. I'll just give a very brief overview of the film. Dave, as you said, you hadn't seen it. The film Mm -hmm. is split into, as you guessed, four weddings and one funeral. It starts with wedding number one, where Hugh Grant's character, Charles, is the best man. There he meets a mysterious guest, uh, Carrie, played by Andy McDowell, and they end up hitting it off and having a one-night stand. We're also introduced to a host of likable characters, uh, Charles's cohort of friends, including Alex's favourite actor of all time, Simon Callow, and his animated character, Gareth, and Charles's best friend, Fiona, played by Kristen Scott Thomas, among other guests. Two of those other guests are overcome with the celebrations of the day, end up getting together, and then end up marrying for wedding two. So here, wedding two, Charles and Carrie meet up again, but Carrie explains that she's now engaged, but they end up sleeping together again anyway. Wedding three is Carrie and her fiancés, in which Charles is invited for some reason, but he declares his love for Carrie, which is unreciprocated. Also at this wedding, Gareth has a heart attack, hence the next event, the funeral. Here, Charles realizes life is too short. So the surprise for wedding number four is that it features Charles and an ex-girlfriend of his. Carrie is invited again for some reason, and she explains her marriage broke down and declares her love for Charles. He then abandons his bride at the altar, and then they have this emotional, rainy, ridiculously famous embrace with Carrie and Charles, where they express their love for one another and then wet, wet, wet start performing. <laughs> Why I think it's so enduring is that this film captured aspects of British life and culture that hadn't been seen on film before. It brought a sense of genuineness and reality to the screen in terms of the script and the dialogue. It created or at least popularized, for better or worse, by the way, the affable, bumbling English gent character that Joel did an impression of before. And not only is it an enduring romantic comedy, but it's also rightly considered a linchpin for the success of British cinema today. You know, this was a huge success. It introduced unfamiliar international audiences to our films, and the overwhelming success of the film in turn revitalized British cinema and afforded more opportunities for new directors, new writers, and new voices to be heard. Shove that in your pipe, Alex. <laughs> wow. You just read that directly from like IMDB. Like, Do you know what yeah. <laughs> yeah, Richard Kerr sent me an email this morning. <laughs> did he include the shove that in your pipe and smoke it, Alex, as well? He, he did, yeah. It yeah is, and a it's got personal, stories. Dave. It's got personal between me and I, I can believe that. <laughs> okay, so just to summarize for the, for the prosecution, Gav has brought this film's reputation 
and laid it down on the evidence table. He says, you know, this is one of the best comedies of all time. You know, it was widely received uh, internationally, not just in the UK. It did wonders for British film, did wonders for rom-coms. Uh, it's got a likable cast, likable characters, this kind of realistic dialogue that gives you this snapshot of, of British life or an idealized version of British life. Um, sounds great. Why is it not? It's hateful, Dave. It's hateful oh. from start to finish. Sorry. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I'd, 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 I disagree. Yeah, it was a boost to British cinema. But I'd say, I mean, it's, it's, it's over-egging it a bit to say that it was the linchpin that brought back British cinema from the brink. It was far, you know, British cinema's always been fairly strong. You know, I think it did well internationally. You know, I think having Carrie as a, an, a transatlantic character sort of probably helped that. But I think I think Gav's over-egging it a little bit there. I'm going to really massively disagree with his enduring... It's enduring. I think it's actually dated when you watch it again. People don't really talk about watching four weddings and a funerals. Yes, at the time it was quite popular, but I don't think it. I don't think it's really popular now, and I don't think it really has stood the test of time. And it, the British culture thing's just ridiculous because it's not. It's it's not a snapshot. It's not like you know. It's not like Britpop or you know like the you know the nineties London or something like that. That was big, but that had nothing to do with four weddings and a funeral. Four weddings and a funeral was about about a bunch of posh guys who've obviously met at university and it's got nothing to do with like an extended British culture these are incredibly wealthy people I mean this is evidenced by the fact that you know Richard Curtis the writer is an incredibly wealthy man who's obviously grown up in aristocracy and you know this film had literally has an aristocracy coordinator as part of the cast in it Amber Rudd actually former Home Secretary and MP, was the aristocracy uh, coordinator to this. You know, it had literally had lords and ladies in the film. So the idea that it's like some sort of huge snapshot of British culture is, is absurd. It's just it's just a snapshot of incredibly posh people. And I'd say that's why it's not enduring. That is, that is exactly why this film won't be remembered. Because looking back on it now, I think we're more a bit more evolved now where we don't just see the rich as being amazing and aspiring to. I think we actually see wealth, especially not to bring the recession, the 2008 recession into a discussion about four <laughs> weddings like and a funeral, gonna... <laughs> but I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> but, you know, I don't think we really want to watch about a bunch of posh people that have got far too much money and time on their hands. And their serious worry seems to be that, oh my goodness, I've got a wedding planned every Saturday. I, so yeah, the idea that it's some enduring snapshot of British culture. No, I, I, I think we've moved on from four weddings and a funeral, and thank God we have. Okay, thank you. Can I just ask? I want, I want to ask, what is an aristocracy coordinator? I, I'm guessing it's someone. I, you know, I, I, I tried to have a look in this, but I think it's as sort of vague as it sounds. I think I'm guessing it's someone who has an in with the aristocracy and will get them coordinated into the film god knows god knows why we needed lord burlington or i can't remember <laughs> what the, to be in the film but apparently it was very important enough to have an actual person on the uh cast coordinating them that is intriguing mm. um i'm gonna come to you joel i'm guessing you're gonna be on uh alex's side on this one really with your with your opinions but anything you'd like to add to any of alex's points any of your own you'd like to bring up uh, well, the biggest thing for me was that I didn't see this film like, you know, back in the day. Obviously, we were a lot younger when it was released and it wasn't really for our age group. So I, I was a latecomer to this film and I think it's overrated. Like, I th think it hasn't aged terribly, but it has aged relatively poorly. And I think if you come into this film now as somebody who hasn't seen it before, you're not going to enjoy it anywhere near 
um, you know, the amount of hype that it got like back in the day. Characters just act in like funny ways at the weddings. Like it, it makes it completely unbelievable. Um, and I think like rom-coms especially have moved on to the point where, you know, characters act as they would for the most part in real life. Um, and you just don't get that feeling here, like especially in in the weddings um, is one thing that kind of caught my mind. And also um, there's like this big speech at a funeral, which they just kind of do their best to make it like a, a tearjerker, you know? And it, for me, it just kind of felt like they did it just because it was a funeral. Yeah, I know that kind of almost sounds like completely obvious, you know, you, you're going to have an emotional speech at a funeral, but it just kind of felt like we're having a funeral. So let's kind of, you know, try and pull on the heartstrings a little bit. Um, so yeah, overall, I just think like it's aged, um, and you know, co- coming at it from somebody who hadn't seen it back then, maybe I don't have kind of the same emotional attachment to it as you know somebody who grew up with the film, but I don't think you know watching it now, you're going to have the same uh, you know enjoyment as somebody who maybe watched it back then. Okay, thank you very much, Joel. Uh, Gav, I saw your hand raised towards the end of Alex's points there. Essentially, the uh, the feeling getting here is it's not aged well. You know, it may have been a big deal back in the day, but it doesn't stand up uh, to today's society, and it never really stood up to society at all. It's it's a it's fanciful sort of a snapshot of British society that doesn't really hold up a mirror at all to to what was actually going on. Um, it's it comes across as a bit snobbish, and I think the key word that I've underlined twice there is hateful. <laughs> thanks dave oh. thanks for remembering that, one. <laughs> well, that, that ain't going anywhere that's gonna stay uh, with me. It, we'll be circling back around to it dave <laughs> um gav what if you should come back to that so firstly i went alex sorry to, to go back to this i do i think that it is very watchable in fact it has had a surge of popularity recently especially because of the pandemic and people being in lockdown there was a, a list that came out at the end of last year. It was compiled by the British Film Institute and Google. And it said that uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral is the most rewatchable British film of all time. I, it, I think that it, it is appealing. Do you believe that personally? Look at me in the <laughs> eye and tell me if you believe that. I, I believe that 49% of the votes as well, 49%. 49% is probably about six people. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> These online polls, it's not... <laughs> And like, so was to, that on to, BritishRomcoms.com or something? No, no, no. The, the second film was uh, Skyfall and the third after that was uh, P- Prisoner of Azkaban. <laughs> <laughs> so really, really diverse <laughs> range of British films there. Uh, but that, so firstly, talking about um, what Alex was saying and he said that um, it's not relatable. I, I think that like, okay, right, there is a lot of affluent British people there and maybe that's not relatable. But when I say it's relatable to a British audience, I mean, in a sense that if you're watching US uh, films or TV, there'll be dozens of references to American culture or places uh, or food. And that's fine, you know, because audiences outside of America accept that. I mean, we don't sometimes know what the hell they're talking about, but it doesn't alienate us. And I think British films had a tendency to avoid the same because they didn't want to alienate any international audiences but Four Winds and a Funeral embraces it it's chock full of references to British culture and life which were relatable then and are still relatable now and mean that Four Winds and a Funeral is still relatable because of it again the script as well what sorry like what like 
Oh, well, like I thought you like, said ET then. I thought you said BG. The fashion that they wear, the references to Charles and Camilla and the royal family when they go shopping. You know, it's a lot of it is you know references that we would all understand. Like the script as well is also very relatable. In 1994, this was fresh. This was funny. It uses like a lot of fucks. It, you know, in the first opening five minutes, it uses the word fuck about like 50 times. And having the phrase enormous erection in a film, that was at the time a, a landmark. That's something that I hadn't been seen before. <laughs> a cinematic. Cinematic <laughs> landmark. But, you know, the thing is, is that like that type of dialogue is more relatable and it's more realistic. It's swearing so much using expressions like that using vulgar humor that hadn't been seen in british film before and when it happened it was more relatable because that is something that we all do and you know if you did attend a toffs wedding i'm pretty sure that's how it would look so it's realistic for that one percent of british people as well <laughs> but um when it comes to being uh, dated uh, and and also staying with being relatable. I think that it hasn't dated at all, really. I think it was sort of a bit progressive for 1994 British TV or film. Um, it features a central couple that are probably the most relatable characters, a sophisticated, confident woman and an unconfident and bumbling man, uh, which may seem common today, but in 1994, that was quite different. And I think that's why it's such enduring uh, and uh, appealing to viewers today. It also had progressive characters in there, like two of Charles's friends are a gay couple. It also features confident and sexually active women where they're talking about how many people that they've slept with, but they're, they're not being bemoaned for it. They're not being treated differently. Nobody says, oh my God, ugh, how many have you slept with? You know, it, and it, was, it was different because it was everybody was able to be more open and more honest. And there wasn't this sort of like judgment associated with it. And I think that that is why it's relatable today, because I think films and humor progress so much that it isn't just a case of, oh, the man is always good looking and charming and attractive, and the woman is very virginal. It, it, they can be as confident, as boisterous, as loud, as brash as the men can be. And I think that, that we've seen that in cinema today. And I think that maybe Four Winds and the Funeral was at the forefront of that. Okay. Thank you very much, Gav. So, yeah, he's, he's got to come back to the, the dated argument. And he says, you know, it's actually quite progressive in its way. Um, and although it might not be relatable, it is kind of identifiable in, in a way. It might not be a, a segment of British society we're in, but there's elements there that can be like, oh, yeah, I know a guy who, who behaves like that, who, who speaks like that. So, okay, I, I understand where Gav's coming from. But um, I'm going to come back to you, Alex, because I saw your hand raised during some of Gav's points. I'm guessing you're going to disagree on some of those points i'm going to agree with some of them first and say okay. yeah you know the especially like the it is very nice to see a film in 1994 that does have a gay couple in it and you know i mean i you know i wouldn't say maybe these days it would be a bit more you know openly talked about it's still not quite there but for 1994 it, it is talked about more than more than you would have expected so so that is very good like that and you know uh, I disagree with Gav because he seems to be talking about Carrie. You know, she's this sort of, you know, strong, confident woman who's had a lot of um, sexual relationships. And that's, I have to say, that's where I disagree. Like, I don't think Carrie, I think there are some good female characters in there. I think Carrie is appalling. And I'd say this is my main gripe with the film because Carrie is the central romantic figure in the film. And I think her character is is awful. I know, you know, Gav was quoting some things like you know polls and stuff like that there's a poll as well that says Carrie has been voted one of the most annoying characters in British film ever and and I think 
that's even that's saying too much because to say she's annoying is like there's something to her. Andy McDowell had absolutely nothing to work with. She's the, the character of Callie, uh, Carrie, sorry, is dull and completely unsympathetic. And that's the whole thing that's driving this plot forward. He sees her and he falls in love. And I'm sorry to bring up Richard Curtis, but it's this ridiculously like adolescent view of love where he just falls in love with her. And at no point do you ever see why. I mean, she's beautiful and she's got a nice smile. But for no reason, there's no, there's nothing about Carrie that actually draws you in. And you, you like for all of the other characters, for better or worse, Simon Callow is not my favorite, but you could say something about this, you know, he's loud and he's brash. John Hanna is quiet and thoughtful. You know, um, Kristen Scott Thomas is sort of quiet and bitter. Carrie is one of the main characters in it. And I can't think of a single word to really describe a character. She's she's utterly dull and very unsympathetic. Like, you know, Gav said a few things, but this in the plot, it just seems it just seems completely. She just seems horrible, to be honest. At first, you know, she she gets with them in the first wedding. That's quite a nice little bit. And everything seems OK. Then the next wedding she meets him, she says, say, she is like, hi, I've got a fiance, by the way. And seems totally unconcerned by the fact that Charles would be hurt by this. Like just seems completely just oblivious or just not bothered, like not not interested at all. And at first you just go like, oh, like, I don't really get that. I don't really you know, I'm not I'm not with her on there. Does she not know that Charles would be Charles is obviously very much attracted to her, not hurt by it. She has this fiance Hamish that she's met with in the last three months. You don't see any side to Hamish, but he's, he owns half of Scotland. So that seems to be the reason that she seems to be with him. So you can't help but seem to think she's some sort of gold digger because you can't see any other reason why she'd be with this Hamish. She then, after she said that she's marrying Hamish and is his fiance, she then sleeps with Charles. And it doesn't seem to be any sort of like, you know, dilemma within her about sleeping with a man while she's with a fiance. And then just leaves him. Again, like, you know, very un, uh, unsympathetic. It's clear Charles has feelings for him, but like Gav says, she just, you know, just invites him to the wedding and he inexplicably um, goes. She invites him dress shopping. So the poor guy has to follow around. He's in love with her, has to follow around while she buys her wedding dress. And he's just clearly in, in um, you know, you just have to look at him to see he's in emotional turmoil. And, you know, then he does a profession of love and like says very honestly, clearly, that, you know, he loves her and she doesn't seem bothered at all. She says, oh, well, you're lovely enough. She goes, he goes to the wedding and she makes a comment about the fact that he's, you know, said this in front of a whole crowd. She goes, oh, you know, I, I know someone who says he loves me. And like, again, just incredibly hurtful thing to say. And in the end, she she ends up turning up. She splits up with Hamish. And I know it's the dramatic way to end the film, but it doesn't make any sense in this Curtis Land way of things making sense, where she just turns up on his wedding day, which is nothing but just horrendous emotional torture for poor Charles, you know, not ringing ahead. There's no, you know, sort of reason for the plot of her doing, of turning up on the day to expressly say our timing is bad and to ruin his wedding and to hope that he, you know, completely destroys this poor woman who's at the altar. You know, there's no way at the end of it, you don't know anything about her, but you just think, my God, she's awful, this woman. She's some sort of dramatic, she's like, you know, completely obsessed with drama and emotional pain. You just, I'm sorry, but at the end of the film, and this is absolutely genuine, I was like, this relationship has two weeks. Do you know what I mean? Before, before like, you know, they just like go into going for, you know, fish and chips and she's like, oh, this isn't, you know, I'm not breaking up anyone's wedding or ripping anyone's heart out at the moment. I can't, you know, so, you know, I know I've gone on about it, but that that's the main, my main gripe with Four Weddings and a Funeral is that Carrie 
isn't what Gav was saying. She's not strong because she's dull. There's nothing to her. She's a completely unsympathetic character. And considering his love for her is what's meant to drive the whole thing forward, it's a big problem for the film. Okay, thank you very much. Um, Gav, I see your hands raised. I'm going to come to you before I come to Joel. That's pretty damning stuff, to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, it's a rom-com. Surely a driving force of the romantic side is you've got to actually like the main couple and you, you're willing them to get together. If, if you dislike one or half of that couple, surely this is destined for failure. Well, no, you say you, you meant Alex. <laughs> <laughs> what Alex and what other people think sometimes are vastly different. Hence, uh, wow. Case in point. I just need to dead. say, I never go personal. Do you know what I mean? I, I never, I'm no, never I, the I, first I, to do it. No, I, will, I will say to Alex, um, I was also talking about Fiona and Scarlett as well. I think they're like quite progressive female characters for yeah, their time. And they are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think with Carrie, I, I completely agree with a lot of what you're saying, actually. I do think that um, she isn't as successful as she appears to be. And I think that's one of the qualities that maybe you might not agree with this, probably you won't, that Richard Curtis was maybe uh, hiding there, is that, you know, she appears confident affair. She appears like this, you know, well-traveled, overly confident person. But really, she's she's not. She's afraid. She's just as reluctant to marry. She's just afraid of commitment as Charles is. So when they sleep together, there's that instant attraction. But then there's that realization of, oh, there might be something more here. And that's probably why they why they flee. Okay, which I get, which I was, which I'd be right up for you if she didn't then turn up with a fiance that she was about to marry. Do you know what I mean? that? Like that's 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 what blows that out of the water because I'm completely with you. And I was like, oh right, yeah, they're both afraid of commitment. And then she turns up with a fiance, and it's like, oh no, she's not. She just she's just inexplicably because he's not rich. Yeah, is well, the only yeah, thing that comes to. But the thing is, is that like. The, the film shows that you know, love can be complicated. It's not sort of like a, a standard, oh, man meets woman and they both are attracted to each other. They fall in love and it's a happy ending. You know, the, it shows the ups and downs and it shows that it sometimes isn't as simple and sometimes what you want is different at different parts of your life. So at the very beginning, she is afraid of commitments and in between, you know, weddings one and two, she does find somebody. But then after seeing Hugh Grant again at wedding two, she's engaged by this point there's a three-month gap between wedding one and wedding two <laughs> <laughs> i was wondering what is the time span three months three, three months, months. yeah three between months. four weddings between her sleeping with hugh grant and then being engaged to another man at wedding two yeah who, okay, who just so, happens to own half of scotland as well i'm sure that's you well, know, you know I mean. but the thing is yeah. is that like we don't know we don't know people's motivations and we don't know the reason why she's getting with this guy and when she pitches up at hugh grant's door yeah it's very very bad timing but she does lay it out there and she says yeah I, I i was in a bad relationship i thought i knew what i wanted but i didn't he was much older than me he wanted something different than what i wanted and you know it just didn't work and it's like she's laying it out there she's more vulnerable she's showing that she's not actually as confident as she once appeared and the thing is is that throughout they keep on kind of meeting each other in these really like unconventional or inconvenient moments when, when he attends wedding dress shopping with it it's not because you know like oh he wants to do that because that'll be really fun and it's not gonna really hurt him it's because he wants to spend time with her she she, t she takes him do you know what i mean just leave the poor 
Well, I don't know, but because, because both, <laughs> you know, both I mean? them, like, uh, know uh, that there is something more there, but they just don't want to accept it. So, like, the, at the same wedding, she knows that there's this attraction. She knows that there's something more. And even though she's engaged, she still can't stop herself from uh, hooking up with Charles. And the same goes to him, uh, you know, wedding number three, when he declares his love for her. Okay. It's just a weak, it's just a weak part of the film, that bit. You know, Gav, and I'll just go to back. Gav's right, you know, like the, the, Kristen Scott, Thomas and Scarlett, yeah, good. And there are, but that's the bit that's weak for me. Sorry, Gav. Okay. Right, noted. Um, Joel, I want to get your thoughts on this. What do you think about this this main romance between this couple? I mean, surely we've got to care about them, right? Well, yeah, I think you do. But I think I was just a bit put off by the amount of weddings in the film, which is weird since it's called Ford Weddings and a funeral. But to me, (laughs) (laughs) the synopsis should have just been like, a few mates go to each other's weddings because that's kind of what it felt like to me but the the main romance just it just kind of felt secondary to the film i don't know if it was meant to be like the main selling point or if you were meant to kind of really buy into it or not but like for a rom-com i suppose you've got to kind of get behind the characters and i didn't think any of the characters were like particularly bad but you know i I can't say that i really remember much about any of their personalities other than a lot of them were kind of stereotypical English people and um, they acted in ways that a normal person wouldn't act at a wedding. And I think, you know, when you tie all those things together, it kind of takes you out of the film a little bit. And I think that's kind of coming full circle back to the part about maybe some of it being outdated, because I think if you made that film now, the the characters wouldn't act in those ways, especially at a wedding. Um, and I think like the the romance would maybe have a little bit more maybe character development behind it. Okay, uh, Gav, I see your hands raised. Uh, anything more to add on this key couple? Yeah, I, in fact, I would I'd like to agree with some of what Joel was saying there. Um, I, I can see Alex is getting annoyed already because like I've never I've not agreed with anything <laughs> he said. I'm going to go for fine. a walk. For, I'm going to go for a walk for a little bit. I'm not Dave. I'm not seething. Fucking seething. I never can tell. <laughs> I'm way away. I'm very think, far I, away from being okay, Dave. I just think it's just very funny. Like I've agreed with one thing Alex said. And know, yeah. Joel speaks. I'm like, yeah, I agree. With what Do you know what? Actually, <laughs> spot on, mate. Spot on, Joel. Spot on, Joel. Spot on. <laughs> Finally, a prosecution I can get behind. <laughs> No, and I will agree with what Joel was saying. And I do actually think that the romance between Carrie and Charles is actually secondary. And I think that it is intentional as well. Because when you think about it, Carrie doesn't really spend a lot of time on the screen, overall screen time. She doesn't really have a massive amount. And I think that what makes it so successful and so enduring is that it's not just about a couple finding one another and falling in love. It's about everything and everyone in between. And the enduring relationship that we have with our family and with our friends. Yeah, I've got a quote here from the director, Mike Newell, who said, it's not not just funny or romantic it's about the development of our friends as well that's what gives it this great undertow of warmth you know and that's what i like about it it's about all of their interactions and all of their relationships building i'll agree with joel as well i'll go into more detail in casting characters but i don't think that there is a lot of detail or description about these characters initially but what we what we find is that their interactions with each other we learn more about them through them and we end up forming more of a relationship or we care about them more because of how they interact with each other. And that's why I think that that is the most important aspect of this film. It's about their reactions, their um, relationships, and not just about Carrie and Charles, who do come secondary. But at the end of the day, it's about four weddings and a funeral. And, you know, only 
two of them involve the main couple, the other two, uh, well, the other three events aren't anything to do with them, essentially. You do you know Dave's going to watch this film, right? And be like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, no, they're not. That is the main part of the film. Do you know what I mean? Dave's going to watch this film. He's going to fucking agree gonna with be, He's going to be hurt by that. I, I've been lied to before on the podcast. <laughs> I tell you, if I could turn back the clock on some of my decisions. Um, <laughs> I've got to say that that, that, that does sound um, quite compelling. You know, it's... Um, it's about more than just romance and comedy, despite the fact it is a rom-com. And if you're going to put it in a box, it's, it's rom-com, but it's more about, it's more about the relationships they have with other people as well. You know, there's a bigger circle of things. The relationship itself isn't necessarily meant to be front and center. It, it sounds, it, it sounds like it's a bit, a bit beyond the average rom-com, which is you know, just focused on the couple and the shenanigans they get up to. Um, so it sounds like there's something more about it. Alex, what's your take on it? My problem with that argument, right, is that, then you've got to have a very strong secondary subplots and you don't in this, you just don't. So the, so there are other subplots going on, but they're not strong. There are elements that are, and this is my main problem. I'm not going to mention Richard Curtis too much, but it is something that I find is common in his films. And that I do think comes from his writing in this. He does set things up quite well. And this is what I think is quite disappointing. You know, in other films, he does the same thing. He sets up this, you know, sometimes like quite high tension and sadness, you know, and, you know, you, you're thinking about like uh, John Hanna's scene when he's doing the funeral scene. It's very well done. And John Hanna's performance, I think he reads out a W.H. Auden poem. It's quite moving, you know, and I'm, you know, because I'm not going to say that everything in this film is is rubbish from start to finish. But he does do these moments and sets up characters quite well where you do feel quite sorry for him. So you feel sorry for Scarlett because um, she doesn't seem to be able to, you know, she doesn't fancy the men that fancy her and any of the men that she likes, she says, um, just don't treat her very well. So, you know, she's looking for love and she's a little bit lost. You have um, John Hanna is a very affecting bit where, you know, that his love, Simon Callow, dies. And so he's left on his own. And then you have uh, Tom, um, who's like, a sort of a hopeless romantic no one ever fancies him and there's never felt he's always just looking to settle he's never felt a thunderbolt of love uh and you know there's a bit more chris and scott thomas who's in love with hugh grant uh charles so you have all of these things that are set up and they're settled quite well i'd say but the payoff is pure richard curtis fantasy land and it just goes into this bit where he just starts knocking them off like by you know little skittles by the end like a zombie movie where all the characters just start getting eaten you know, it's like Tom's being a hopeless romantic where he sees someone in the at the last wedding and they look at each other and it's, oh my goodness, I do love you and it's a thunderbolt of love. And it's ridiculous and it's absurd and it just happens. Uh, John Hanna doesn't even get a good resolution just at the end in a credit sequence. There's a photo of him with someone else and you're like, oh right, well, there we go then. That's that sorted out. Same thing with Kristen Scott Thomas. You know, she's got the worst one. She gives a beautiful performance. It's very affecting. She's clearly like lovelorn all of the way through it, hurt terribly by Charles, who doesn't understand how badly he's hurting her. And at the end, there's just a picture of her with Charles. Like she's married Charles after, you know, Diana and Charles were still together then. But the idea is, you know, the joke is that she's split up and she's with Charles, you know, Prince Charles. And it's this thing where Richard Curtis builds up this quite, quite tragic, sometimes quite emotionally involving bit, and then just pays it off with this daft Curtis comedy. That's like, oh, ha, 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 ha. Isn't it funny that, you know, and it's like, Scarlett just runs off with an American who just is in love with her. And it's really emotionally unsatisfying. And I know it's a rom-com, but, you know, if that's if that's what we're focused on, if we're not focused on the Carrie and Charles relationship, 
then we're focused on these subplots that just end in, in incredibly unsatisfying, stupid ways that that they deserve better, especially ones like John Hanna, where you are actually a bit emotionally invested. It's just it's just annoying. And it's annoying. And I'll give Richard Curtis this because the setup's pretty damn good. Like he has set them up pretty well. But why? What's the point? You know? Fair enough. So, yeah, the setup is only as good as the payoff, I guess, in the end of these sort of things. Gav, I'm going to come to you and talk about comedy because we've talked about the romance aspect. Obviously, I, I'm starting to think this may be more than just the average rom-com and maybe it shouldn't be put in such a small box. But we've talked about romance. Let's talk about comedy. Alex has hinted at it there. He says this is kind of a typical daft Richard Curtis comedy. You know, it's it's just silly humor. It doesn't really make sense. And it's just very unsatisfying in the end, you know, and it kind of belittles the romantic element of the film. Um, I mean, what what would you say about that? You know, is Richard Curtis's writing done himself a disservice here? Is it even funny? I, I think it is funny. I think uh, what Alex was saying about the love elements, firstly, before we go you, you on about the comedy, I don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> Tactful. You should have gone into diplomacy, Gab. <laughs> <laughs> but what I think went wrong with Love Actually is that he tries to focus the entire script on too many different characters and you get stretched here, there and everywhere and the, the um, endings are very unsatisfying. We don't need all these subplots. We don't need so much focus on these additional characters. It's about the five big events. And for the main part of the film, it sticks to those events. So we don't need to see what Charles was doing in between the three months between the first two weddings, because it's about, you know, and this is the interesting concept. The whole film revolves around these five events. Uh, Alex is right in that we get these bittersweet looks into people's lives. And I do think that some of them are um, tied off a bit at the end when I think there could have been some loose ends. I think that I think there was a time when audiences were treated a little bit like babies and that like every film had to have satisfying conclusions and there couldn't be any loose ends and all the characters had to be like ends happily. And I think if it was to be made now, I think maybe Richard Curtis, if he was doing it, might look differently and might be like, well, you know what? Not all characters need to be happy because some of them didn't have very happy lives or, you know, they were experiencing some real problems or difficulties and it's fine if they're not resolved by the end of the film. Yeah, so 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 I will, I will, here you go, Alex, I will agree with Alex on that point there, but I do also think that sometimes an audience does want to see some of these things resolved and they do want satisfying conclusions and you know, sometimes there isn't enough, there isn't enough time in a film to wrap it all up. So using those end credit scenes that is a nice way to like look what happened to john hannah's character i think well the next event after the funeral was charles's wedding and i think that was within a year so if we were to show that john hannah's character was with a new partner it might feel a bit rushed if matthew was suddenly you know with somebody else so to wrap it up in the end credits we see oh actually now he's, he's found love it could be so many months or years later it doesn't matter so i think that that's a neat way of, of tying up any loose ends and I, I, I'm absolutely fine with that I do think that some of them could have been left unresolved but for the most part it doesn't really affect it for me and I think the comedy the comedy there's there's lots of it in here there's lots of funny relatable wedding events like relatives getting too pissed and embarrassing themselves bad wedding speeches uh, somebody getting cornered by a really boring guest lots of things when I mentioned before about the relatability yeah okay it's it's a tough you know, posho wedding, 
but aspects that happen within that wedding I think are relatable to everybody who's been to a wedding and then you've got that sort of out there outlandish Curtis humour where he has Rowan Atkinson's vicar um, who just gets all of his lines mixed up and he can't remember the name of the bride or the groom because it's his first wedding that he's ever done and he's very nervous then you get Charles being sat on a table at the second wedding on a table just comprised of all of his ex-girlfriends and they all talking about uh, stories they had with Charles where we would make fun of somebody and then it turned out that that person was actually sat next to him and you know there's all there's all that hilarity uh, and then the cast do a very we'll go into more detail about them later on but they do a great job with how they interact with the script I think the script is very well written it's very believable and I think that how they interact with it is very good they do all these double takes these awkward pauses this confused exacerbated or joyous looks that just make the whole thing more engaging and enjoyable to watch okay thank you Gav has anyone anything to add about uh, comedy or romance, the general plot of the film? If not, I want to move on to casting characters. Let's take it. Out. Let's go to casting characters. Let's hear about the wonders of of Hugh Grant and and Simon Callow and all these other national treasures. Briefly, having just seen the clock. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. Who wants to Who wants to tell me a little about Alex? I'll just be very brief, and I'm talking. I'm going to talk about the comedy as well because I'd say the most comic. And the most entertaining scene is uh, Gareth's death scene. The, 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 what, what, <laughs> what creates the funeral? It, it's probably not meant to be, but it's it's one that I found incredibly satisfying. I was a bit disappointed watching it again, though. It's not as satisfying as I felt because I felt the character of Gareth, um, played by Simon Callow, is one of the most irritating characters for me in any cinematic film. And I'm not I'm not joking. You know, I, and like my family, you know. Lots of children spent their days, you know, playing Scrabble or Monopoly with their family. The Bruce family spent an awful lot of time just debating Simon Callow's performance in <laughs> weddings and a funeral and talking about how awful it is. It's incredibly, he's just a posh, uh, oh, hello, he sort of talks like this and he does this. You know, I, I lived in Cambridge for six years and oh my God, there is a lot of those people around. And he's just incredibly irritating. You keep saying these wonderful little uh you know asides and jokes and things that everyone has to listen to and he's not that funny but he sort of litters it with little literary um you know uh references and stuff like that so he's incredibly annoying but his death scene sadly um you know he does sort of grab his heart and he rolls up and you can see a little bit of pain in his in his in his before he before he hits but obviously Did you want more pain? well i think i remembered it differently <laughs> obviously in my dreams i've added to that over the years and back in the day i thought i thought oh. there was at least a shot where he looks he looks up at charles and you can see the fear in his eyes before <laughs> death takes him but i don't think i don't think that 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 obviously is something I've added to over in the years. Um, there's just one shot really where he does look in considerable pain, but then he passes out. So um, I found that I found the most comic it goes too quickly. <laughs> I found the most comic scene was was not as not as funny as I'd remembered, and I was quite disappointed. Wow. Okay. Uh, the death of Simon Callow. Not as funny as it should have been. Not as entertaining. <laughs> is is that is that the hateful element of the film you're talking about? <laughs> I think that, that might be me cruel. being a little hateful. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Gav, what's your thought on casting characters? Any highlights here I should be looking for? Or 
I any any concessions you might want to make? <laughs> no concessions at all. <laughs> oh, I thought wow. Sam and Callow, well, Sam and Callow's death, no, it's not Sam and Callow. <laughs> I thought Gareth's death was very emotional, and I think anybody who found it funny and or satisfying <laughs> is a monster. <laughs> uh, Mainly but, satisfying. <laughs> overall, this springboarded Hugh Grant into movie stardom. You know, maybe unfortunately, I might add, because I think Hugh Jack, Hugh Jackman, sorry, Hugh Grant. I knew you were going to say Hugh Jackman first. <laughs> I, know, I always say, I always he, he stopped himself from saying Jackman there. <laughs> so I, I actually think that Hugh Grant is a really good actor, but he's just been pigeonholed and typecast for years as this affable, charming, bumbling English gent because he played it so well in this film and audiences loved it and wanted more of it. Andy McDowell is also very good. You know, she plays this character, as I said before, she starts off so confidently in the first couple of acts, but after her marriage ends, Andy McDowell is really brilliant at playing somebody who's has had, you know, a knock to their pride, enthusiasm, and their confidence. Yes, with the exception of the main couple, the characters, as Joel mentioned before, are a bit two-dimensional. The kooky flatmate, the gay best friend, the feisty bachelor girl, the affable posho. But we don't really know anything about them as people, where they live, what their jobs are. However, what essentially the characters lack in depth and quality is forgivable because it is made up for how good the script is and how well they interact with each other. So, for example, talking about Alex's favourite, Gareth, he's this boisterous, charismatic figure who we're not really given a formal introduction to, but we learn so much about him throughout the film and throughout the events and his interactions with others. The the wedding pep talks or anti-pep talks that he gives is unwavering and addictive enthusiasm. He's always the first up to dance or respond to a joke. So we quickly build affection his, towards his character. His, his love of fry-ups and whiskey. <laughs> his love of fry-ups. So, so we genuinely care what happens to them. I mean, we, the royal we as in most people when he dies the funeral in four weddings and a funeral we do feel hurt you know we are upset because we have grown affection to him well normal people have anyway (laughs) okay thank you gab um i think i've heard all i need to hear i'm running out of space in my notepad so yeah i think i have heard all i need to hear Uh, unless anyone's got anything they want to add no just quickly dave uh, quickly 3.5 out of 4 from Roger Ebert let's not oh, forget that oh you son of a bitch <laughs> dismiss, you dirty dismiss, no. you dirty son of a bitch <laughs> I don't, don't want to hear the statistics I do not want to hear the statistics okay. not interested Strick from, stricken from the record yeah t- take him down a few letters take, t- <laughs> bring that into your judgement Dave what a naughty guy j- naughty to be guy. honest with you Roger Ebert's made some bad calls over the years I, I agree with him nine times in ten but there is that that tenth where it's like what what was he thinking at the well, time fortunately this is one of those ninth <laughs> no, we'll see we it's will see nine times out of ten <laughs> okay I've heard all I need to hear um, should we kill a little time while I try and digest these scribbles I've, I've got all over the place yep uh, and now that i know the trial is over and you won't be taking anything else into consideration uh, i will say that i'm doing quiz now and one criticism of richard curtis is that he writes <laughs> he just writes affable posh and tweet characters <laughs> that are only relatable to a small portion of british citizens and are only used to peddle stereotypes and misconceptions about british people to american audiences but <laughs> That is simply not true. That's not true at all. He also writes unlikable, kooky, earthy, oddball characters as well. <laughs> he does. He does. <laughs> so this quiz is called Kook or Duke. <laughs> so I read out the name. I read out the name of a Richard Curtis character, and you have to say whether they're an unlikable oddball or an unrelatable posho, aka Kook or Duke. Got it. 
bonus right, points if you can tell me the film the character is from and the actor or actress who played them. Okay, okay. so starting off with an easy one. Number one, fingers on the buzzers. Bernard Jeffrey St. John Delaney. Cut Yes. Uh, four Weddings and a Funeral. Uh, I don't know the guy who plays him, though, but he's Bernard. The character's yep. Bernard. Is it a kook or a duke? He is a duke. You're right, he is a duke. Yes, well done. He's a posho. Number two, Ruby Sheridan. Um, I'm going to go for kook, just because she sounds, you know, a little bit. Yeah. A little yeah, bit of a wild card. Okay. Yeah, but I don't well, know the film, right. I just guessed. She is a kook. She is uh, Cher's character from Mamma Mia. Here we go again. Let's not forget that his fingerprints <laughs> were all over that film. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Cher's character, who uh, was we were told was dead in the first Mamma Mia film, so obviously <laughs> he didn't care about that. <laughs> anyway, number three, easy one for you, hopefully. Spike. Bah. Um, Alex. Uh, Notting Hill. Yep. Uh, Grease Iffins. Uh, uh, Reese fans. Yeah, Reese but- fans. And he's a kook. He is a kook. He is a he's kook. He's the kookiest one. Uh, I think okay. he's the kook that started it all. Is he the guy that like walks in naked or whatever goes around yeah, naked? Yeah. Yep. yeah. He's a crazy bastard, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't write him, but unfortunately Richard Kerr <laughs> I could. <laughs> uh, number four, say Alistair Dormandy. Say Alistair Dormandy. Um, Dave? I mean, he sounds like a duke. <laughs> I'm going to say that sounds pretty... He is. He's a duke. Anybody guess the film? I'd say he's played by another one of Alex's favourite actors of all time. Uh, <laughs> Probably up there with Simon Callow for you. Is it Michael Gambon then? No, no, no. Stephen Fry. No, no. Probably the only other person now I can think of on that list Ooh. of Simon Callow, Stephen Fry, Michael, Michael Gambon, Gambon, and who else? Does Alex hate. Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> Kenneth Branagh. Uh, oh, that is he? Sly is son it, of a bitch. <laughs> is it the boat that rocked? It uh, is the boat that rocked. Well done, yeah. Dave. Okay, number five, Rocky. Rocky. That, I'm going to go with Kook, but I've no idea. What well, film. yeah, you're right, Alex. It's a Kook. It's Joel Fry's character from yesterday. Let's not forget that he also wrote the script <laughs> for yesterday. Okay, number six, Penny Husbands Bosworth. Um, Dave? Sounds like a duke if ever I heard one. <laughs> it is a duke. <laughs> any, any guesses with the film? The Boat That Rocked? No, it's a, well, well, they're all films. It's a separate film for each answer, so it's one they haven't okay. heard before. Uh, right about Give us a clue. Okay, it's based on a novel a very popular novel, uh, and he Bridget adapted Jones. the screenplay. Yes, well done, Dave. Bridget Jones's diary, and uh, it's on a Blackman's character. So number seven, Ed- Admiral Darcy. I'll give you a clue. It's very <laughs> closely linked to the last answer. Good <laughs> Duke. Duke uh, from Bridget, o- Bridget Jones' Edge of Reason. Yep, a half point for Joel, a half point for Alex there. I didn't realise he was an admiral. I just thought he was like... No, his dad is. His dad's an admiral, and his dad was probably written by Richard Curtis. (laughs) Uh, Number eight, easy one for you, hopefully. Billy Mack. Dave. That is is a kook from Love, actually. (laughs) Yes, kook from Love, actually. It's it's a letter away from what he really is, isn't it? (laughs) Cool. With a yes. K. <laughs> uh, even cooler. Um, right. Okay. Uh, number nine. I, I've been. I can't even get through it. I've been laughing at this name all fucking day. 
<laughs> just because thinking about Richard Curtis coming up with it, thinking, yes, that's a name that a commoner might have. <laughs> Number nine, Stingo Wheelie. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a real character? <laughs> Oh man, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a kook name. Right yeah. Richard Curtis clearly once went to a, a town pub, didn't he, when he was at Oxbridge, <laughs> and decided met a Stingo Wheelie. Stingo Wheelie. Stingo Wheelie. Uh, right, you're probably not going to get this, but you're right. Yeah. You're all right. It's a kook, and it's Johnny Galecki's character from Bean. And if you don't oh. remember what his character was, he uh, was a, a white guy who had uh, Rastafarian dreadlocks and a hat. Stingo Wheelie. Yeah. Uh, and finally. <laughs> Number 10, Kit Kat Lake. Is that a character or an actual lake? <laughs> it's a character, unfortunately. Where they make Kit Kats. <laughs> a magical Great lake, place. Kit Kat Lake. <laughs> I, I want to go. I want to go there. Right, I'll tell you I now. I see the wafer there. trees. I'm going to go for Kook. Kook. Anybody else? Got to be Kook. Kook. Uh, well, you're all wrong. It's Kook and Duke. It's oh. a kooky part show. Oh. Uh, and it was Lydia Wilson's character in About Time. So congratulations. I think you all did pretty well there. So um, the your reward is that you all get to watch Notting Hill tonight. Ozzy <laughs> <laughs> um, can have my prize. <laughs> okay, thank you very much, Gav. Um, I've been trying to digest my notes here and I, it is... It's honestly like some weird kind of Guy Pearce memento stream of consciousness when I'm taking notes <laughs> on this it's, if, if someone actually read these out of context, I'd probably be locked up. I've got like Alex is a monster <laughs> in quotation marks from Gav. I've got hateful, was it, was, hateful underlined thrice. <laughs> was Alex is a monster after I talked in, de- in detail about how much I enjoyed Simon Keller's death? Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> it, it follows on from Gareth's death is satisfying with an arrow pointed at it, followed by quotation marks, Alex is a monster. So, <laughs> Can we please just remember to say that it was Gareth's death, the character Gareth, not Simon Callow, the man. Did I, Simon Callow's death. Simon Callow, as far as we know, is... It's a bit of both to me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I've, I've, had, I've had time to read my notes and digest this a bit. So, like I said, the film's reputation, I decided to leave at the door. But then Gav did bring it up and evidenced a lot of reasons why maybe it should be considered. You know, this film, according to Gav did a lot in the international stakes. It did a lot for British cinema. It did a lot for Britain and in, in general, by the sounds of the way Gav was doing about it. Um, oh, no. Alex Brought says us back dated. from the brink of... What was back from the brink of... <laughs> cultural ruin. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> what did it bring us back from the brink of? I'm going to go with Thatcher. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, Alex said, but it's not dated too well. Gav had a good comeback for that, though. He said, no, it's, it's not dated badly at all. You know, there are still elements of this which are relatable. I mean, Alex said that it wasn't, but... Alex said, although it's maybe not be relatable for everybody because these are kind of upper class characters, there is something in in them that's identifiable. You know, it's uh, there is something in, in this cast that's, that's workable. You know, and, and it is able to be related to. Um, so I did I did pay attention to that. You know, we talked about the comedy. Uh, Gav said it's funny. He didn't really go into much detail. Other than that, though, I mean, um, I don't know whether Alex found the death of Gareth funny, but um, or just satisfying. I'm not sure. Maybe that's a comedic moment for the film. It's, it's hard <laughs> to really delve into exactly how I feel during that scene, but I'll, you know, I'll I'll do my best next time, and I'll, okay. uh, I'll, t- <laughs> I'll give you a word by word. But we did say, although we didn't talk much about comedy, we did. There was kind of the general consensus from both the prosecution and the defense that the script is actually quite good. And it's these interactions with the cast and the script that they are given, which actually makes up for the flaws in their nature. It is a flawed cast. Gav even admitted to that. It's so far as the, sorry, the characters are flawed. They're not particularly well developed. But he said that was just kind of the way 
that the rom-coms were back then they'd be if it was made today you'd be expected to put, put a bit more on the table and i i get where he's coming from there uh but alex did say gotta have stronger subplots if you're gonna make this kind of character piece and move away from just your key couple you, you gotta make it strong and maybe it wasn't but then there was the admission that john Hanna delivers a decent performance in this there is a, a beautiful but I, I quoted beautiful performance uh um, from Kristen scott thomas um you know it's it's daft curtis comedy it's unsatisfying and it's annoying but gav said it was progressive uh enormous erection oh yeah <laughs> landmark cinema yeah <laughs> landmark. <laughs> landmark. i love it if no one had mentioned that dave and you just didn't <laughs> it's all up there by with, yourself you know, with munchkin land coming into color you know in the wizard of oz it's up there yeah, in the same sort of it's like it's yeah the, the advent of sound on screen it's up there <laughs> you've got the erection. jazz singer you've got wizard of oz you've got the enormous erection from forward to the funeral <laughs> Um, and I think what really sold it for me, you know, was when Alex was talking about how it's it's not enduring in a way. You know, everyone sees it as this snapshot. It's not a snapshot of British life. It's a snapshot of an idealized British life, you know, um, and it, it's it's the human weakness that came through that Gav said. You know, it's it's a snapshot, but it's this vulnerability to the characters, even though I was, I was pretty convinced when Alex said that the character of Carrie is awful. She's dull and unsympathetic. But Gav said this vulnerability was something we hadn't seen before. It was, although it could have been a con- condemnation, this is no fairy tale. You know, the way the characters, uh, their stories progress, the way they interact with each other. This isn't the, the, the British society that people have necessarily seen before, real or or, or fictitious, this was something different. This brought something new to the table. And I think what's really sold me on this is that I am struggling to put it in the box of rom-com. It does feel like it's done something different, not necessarily special, but different. And with all of Gav's points and the comebacks he was able to bring, I am afraid I'm going to have to put this on the hit list. Forgive me. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Very well summarized once again. Mm-hmm. I am opinions. intrigued to know what you think, though, Cap. I really am. <laughs> Honest opinions. Let's go with Alex first. Uh, I hate it, but I mean, I hate it. I hate all of Richard Curtis's. Uh, but I'd say that maybe, you know, most people do like it. Most people don't take it as seriously. The thing about Richard Curtis that I just can't help but take extremely seriously, I find his whole view of life and the aristocrat and just upper class way of him the, the way he writes just incredibly irritating and yeah i just can't get past it so i'd have put it on the shit list but probably thinking about it from a sort of a general point of view people might just go what the hell is wrong with you it's just a nice rom-com that you can enjoy <laughs> admittedly though i was watching it and i was like you know i watched it with my wife Ro, and she got really bored and I was surprised, actually, because I was like, I know I'm going to hate this. But I like Rose just saying all the way through, she's like, why is he into this Carrie? And, and I stand by that. Maybe it is a good film, but the, the character of Carrie breaks it for me. If she had been an interesting character, then I think Four Weddings would be, you know, s- solid on that on that hit list. But yeah, I mean, you say you put it on the hit list. It's not like shocker. You know, it's Four Weddings and a Funeral. Like, fair enough. Still, I do. I do hate it. I do hate it, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I I would agree with the majority of what I've said, to be honest. Although I 
equally hate it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Ah, I, 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 coincidentally, on, I watched this with my wife as well. We felt the exact same. She was like, all these characters are really unlikable, unrelatable. And the character of Carrie is a bit of an arse. In fact, I've watched, um, not watched, sorry, I've read an interview with Richard Curtis and he's talking about Four Weddings and a Funeral X amount of years on from it. And he said he's watched it recently and he's gone like, I don't know what I was thinking with Carrie. I think I've let her down as a character because, you know, I don't know where she's coming from, where she's feeling, what she's done in between those two weddings. And you can really tell watching that, watching that back today that that's the case that there hasn't been a lot of thought maybe gone into Carrie's character but I do think as irritating as some of the characters were I do think it does have that nice sort of friendship thread throughout it it is about the characters just enjoying themselves at weddings and just interacting with each other and how they all love each other as well and as much as I hated it when I was watching it I was reminded of my own wedding i was reminded of alex's and other weddings and just been like you know i, no, I did have a great time fucking dare. how dare how <laughs> dare you say that <laughs> nothing nothing you've ever said could hurt me more your oh, wedding reminded dare it you <laughs> i've kept my cool the entire way through this entire proceeding but oh. you just keep pushing and pushing and pushing you, you're sick, Hodson. That's <laughs> you know what hurts me most, and you can't help yourself, can you? No, but I, I think, think that's I think I think that's right. You know, I think it, it's it's not like a great romantic comedy. I don't think, but I do think it is a great story, and I do think there are some great characters in there. And I, I disagree about the subplot aspect. I think there's a lot of good things going on there, but maybe the romance could have been better. But then again, you know, like some romances aren't as A to B as, you know, they are in most romantic comedies. And I think this showed that there can be a bittersweet aspect to it as well. The the, the one thing I'd say that really Four Weddings has going for it is just the kind of like the structure of it, you know, with the four weddings and a funeral, it does exactly what it says on the tin. It's like... Yeah it's you know it's three weddings a funeral and then another wedding and that is a very interesting way of telling a story yeah. and the fact that there is only a, there is only a short maybe 10 minute bit where you're not at a wedding it's just it is it does make it quite watchable and you are like oh great we're at the next one and then we're at the next one and it sort of it's quite a nice way of pacing itself because you know right we're on wedding two Funeral's going to come up at some point. Boom, there we are. He's dead. Ha-ha. Let's, you know, let's watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and i tell you right now, it's a hell of a better film than fucking Love Actually. Oh, I think well, that I mean, as much as I, I didn't as I didn't like this film, I can see why other people like it. Yeah, I can see I, there's I'd a agree. lot of good things I'd, going I'd, for it. It's a good Love Actually. I hate that film, and I just do not understand how anybody can think it's decent. <laughs> no, I know. I know. But it is a bit, <laughs> tiny bit of trivia for you. So, And I just found this completely fucking bad. Bonkers. But the script for this or the idea for this came about because Richard Curtis was right, looking yeah. through an old diary and he found out that in 10 years, how many weddings do you think he'd been to in 10, re- in 10 years? I'd read this Don't see him being popular. So one. <laughs> posh, Dave. Not popular. Posh. Yeah, posh, not popular. Uh, how many? Um, eight. Mm. Alex? I've already read it. I know. Yeah, 72. Yeah. What? <laughs> 72 fucking weddings. Posh people, man. 72. They're mad. They're mad. <laughs> I know. It's like with Hugh Grant's like, not another wedding. And it's like, well, don't go. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you yeah. just seem to, it's like, it's like at the drop of a hat. She literally like meets uh, Charles's like brother. And she's like, do you want to come to my wedding in Scotland? And he's like, yeah, sure. We've literally, 
we've met for about 30 seconds it's it's a very posh way of living Wait, do you know what I mean? Whereas, whereas when you don't my have wedding, to worry about buying yeah, dinner you know, for all these extra people. Whereas yeah. at my wedding, it's like if Roe invited anyone, it's just like, Christ, that's another 40 quid. Like, where the hell are we? You know, like, Christ. Like, <laughs> whereas, you know, for them, it's just like, yeah, the more the merrier. Like, have a great time. Yeah. We'll yeah. fit you I, in on, you know, in the banquet hall, you know. I, I did find out what an aristocracy coordinator is, by the way. Oh, yeah. It was the, the role. She was basically booking extras for the for the weddings uh but because they were all dressed in finery you know in wedding gear and in, in the suits and whatever they gave her the the fake title aristocracy coordinator which she said when you want to go into politics that is an awful fucking title to have on your cv well so unless you unless you want to go into conservative unless you politics. go into the story <laughs> in which case it's quite a boon i, I hear she wanted to go live them but she just didn't have a choice after that, so. uh, speaking about the relevance of four weddings in a funeral is it higher or lower than our previous film on trial which was <laughs> army of the dead Thank which you. scored I, I don't know but it's a lot higher <laughs> like, like, which a lot it scored on on tomatoes 69 percent critical and 75 percent audience i don't know you say it hasn't aged well and you said you you guys actually don't like it you, you watched it with your, your wives they didn't like it maybe it's if it's not aged well you know if rotten tomatoes wasn't around when this film came out and it had its eighth day maybe it's I, not higher than army of the dead i think it's going to be absurdly high really yeah, right well, i'll tell high. you <laughs> technically you're both right alex you're right because Critical score is a whopping 96%, maybe <laughs> one of the highest ones we've reviewed. <laughs> I know, but audience score lower than Army of the Dead just by 1%, 74%. 74%. Mm. I know, very starkly different there, I think. 96 mm. is absurd. That is just, yeah. that's yeah. like Godfather Part 2. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Citizen fucking Kane. Uh, well, you know. did, did you see some of the, the, the other day? I think it's changed now, but um, Citizen Kane was the highest rated film on Rotten Tomatoes with like 100% and X amount of positive reviews. But did you see what film overtook it for a brief amount of time? I don't actually know if it's still, I think it's passed, but it was a surprising film. Took, took It became the what? number one best film on Rotten Tomatoes. Like the Hobbit or something like that. <laughs> Paddington 2. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, that's, I, I'm pleased Paddington <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good film. But. I would watch I would watch Paddington two three times in a row back to back, then have to watch Citizen Kane again. <laughs> Fucking hard going there. Anyway, right. Um, Do you know what yeah. I was I was I was flicking through stuff the other day and I saw a film that I feel like we should put on the podcast that Joel would probably disagree. But Go it was on. Beethoven's third, which scored on Rotten Tomatoes zero percent oh <laughs> and i kind of was curious to see what what does a film look like when it gets zero percent on rotten tomatoes i think i've showed you many of them in the past <laughs> it's true it's true uh, so uh, next week is a continuation of our rom-com month and the next film that we're going to be reviewing is the proposal so in defense, all of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. So in defense, it's going to be myself and Joel. In prosecution, it's going to be Dave and Ozzy, which means Alex is going to be the judge. Oh, great. So, Dave, yeah. what role are you on again? Prosecution. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> There's no excruciating deaths as well. So <laughs> Don't blame me. Gab should, have pulled his, mm. Gab should have pulled his punches. <laughs> 
Sorry, mm. man. Sorry. Uh, so yeah, just nothing <laughs> left to do but to say thank you to both of you and to Joel as well and to Ozzy. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, I'll, I'll let him off because it sounds like he's had a pretty hard day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he had a really bad day and he was telling us all about it in uh, our WhatsApp group and he was explaining that he was going to be late and he was so sorry and he was laying his heart out there and saying, you know, he's had such a bad day. And then Joel responded right there. What did Joel say? Uh, quote you are a real piece of shit Ozzy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway uh, so him. yeah just also want to say thank you to everybody who's listened if you like this episode please remember to like share and subscribe why not leave us a lovely five-star review on apple podcasts if you want more content go on films on trial.co.uk follow us on twitter at film trials or facebook youtube and instagram films on trial so that is it. Love Actually is all around us and it's on the hit list. And we're going to be directly in your ears next week with the proposal. Goodbye. Poor weddings in a funeral. Right? What did I say? Love Actually. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I said the same fucking thing last week. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. So whatever I just, just said. Just keep that. that in. Just keep that in. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe apparently has got his dog out. And yeah, Harry Potter, yeah. Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> <laughs> that was in the chamber, that was the secret. <laughs>